knowing things was very important. My father and I would have what we came to call Talmudic discussions. You know, we could get into the nitty gritty and the encyclopedia would come out and the dictionary would come out and it was very important to be able to state one's case and really dig into the background. This is Get to Know an Average Joe, the podcast about you and me and our twists and turns in life. Maybe we haven't ended up on magazine covers, but we've experienced something worth sharing and talking about. I'm Dodie Axe, and I'm happy you've joined us for this conversation. Odella, welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. You are such a theater and music and arts person for me. That's how I experience you. So my first question is, what does theater, music, arts, what does all of that mean to you? At this stage in my life and in the state of the world, it means sanity. It's the thing that keeps me moving forward. I think I would be in despair if it weren't for the arts. And the arts are important politically, of course. They, I think that they move things politically. I don't know if I believe that. For me, they're food for the soul. They're a way to understand people and understand myself. And they're just enjoyable mm. when they're good. Right. Lots of beauty. But you say at this stage in your life, but as a younger person... This was also something that really shaped who you are. It did. I spent, there was a point in my life that I was a very big stage door Jane, as I like to call myself then. And so I spent a lot of time at the theater. At that time, I lived in New York and I went to the theater two, three, sometimes four times a week. I had several subscriptions to theaters plus whatever was playing on Broadway that I wanted to see at the time. How did that create certain personality characteristics? How did that shape you? I, I can say that as far back as junior high school, even maybe before that, I, I there was a side of me that liked to perform, uh, but, but that fell away quite quickly and uh, so my involvement in theater, I just, I like being around theater people. I like the environment. I like being part of a creative process in any way that I can contribute to that. Uh, one person who had a very a big impact on my life is a composer lyricist by the name of Stephen Sondheim, who I have had in my life since 1971, I think it was 1970, so it's a long time ago, and who I have followed through his uh, many wonderful, wonderful productions, uh, and who touched me in a way, and um, he has a lot of insights about how people work and how relationships work and um, also writes just beautiful music and exquisite, exquisite lyrics. Mm. And uh, he has really been sort of the hub in a wheel in a sense because there are people in my life right now who would not have been in my life if it weren't for him indirectly, but nevertheless. 
you didn't pursue theater as a career and I guess in the left brain right brain balance of things uh, what I know of your career was IT and business focused oh there are at least two careers before that okay <laughs> let's so, talk about those careers what were the early careers uh, I actually did try and pursue a career in theater uh, for three years uh, on uh, behind the scenes, either uh, stage managing. Um, so I worked in New York. I worked for the New York Shakespeare Festival. I worked for the Classic Stage Company. And I worked for the theater at Lincoln Center. Uh, and behind the scenes, as I said. And then at one point, I realized that a career in the arts was too insecure for my more conventional side and that I wanted to be more sure of making a living. Mm. So I decided to finish my undergraduate degree. I had uh, dropped out of college to pursue my theater interests. And so I went back to school and got a degree in psychology um, and then entered a doctoral program for psychology. Clinical psychology was what I was interested in. Uh, and then, uh, so that was career number two. And how many years was that? Oh, I'm graduate school five, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and then, yes, so I had gotten through all of the coursework and the pre-doctoral dissertation and um, the clinical work. And I had um, a dissertation and an internship left and I was unhappy and decided to ask for a leave of absence. It was not clear at the time if I was unhappy with the career choice I had made or if I was unhappy with the particular program I was in or if I was just unhappy, generally speaking. So, but I always had a very strong quantitative side. Mm -hmm. And so I, pretty much self-taught entered the sort of computer consulting uh, branch. Now you have to understand that at that time, computers were just entering the workforce. So now I'm giving away how old I am. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Uh, and um, You maybe could give away some of your early clients, if I remember correctly, who living in New York. It was an illustrious clientele. Yes, I had, I had a few stars. Um, I guess the most shining one was Gloria Steinem. So my call to fame is that I taught Gloria Steinem how to word process. That was really fun. She was a very good student and a very wonderful person. But I also uh, am fond of telling that the first six clients that I had at that time hired me to teach them computer programs that I had never set eyes on. So the conversations would go something like, Oh, yes, I can do that. But my schedule is rather full for the next couple of weeks. So can we book a time until we sign? And we'd get through that phone call. And then I would hang up and call my friend Jeff, who is in the business. Um, Jeff, do you have a copy of whatever program it was that I can borrow for a couple of weeks? <laughs> and so I would teach it to myself and then go teach it to the clients. 
Wow. Yeah, it was really fun. You that can't... kind of surprises me about you because I think otherwise you are so extremely prepared and that you don't stretch into the unknown that way. Can't judge a book by its cover. Well, <laughs> clearly not. But after a certain number of years, I guess you see you see habits and you see characteristics. So I didn't, that's fun to know. Yeah, it was, I don't think it's the kind of thing you could get away with now because, no. well, the field is so much more advanced. But right. at that time, one of the major tasks I had was calming people down. People were really afraid of computers. They were afraid that they could push a button and everything would disappear, mm -hmm. for example. So there weren't computers in every home. Um, there were barely computers in every office. So a lot of what I did was to just keep, give people confidence that they could do it. And of course, they would come up with questions that I couldn't answer. Right. And then, um, you know, we take the manual and open it up and look up the answers. And that was also, I think, kind of calming to, to my clients because, you know, if the expert didn't know, so maybe it wasn't so tough. And they learned how to look things up for themselves. Right. You're the kind of person who seeks an answer and you don't let things just go wondering. Have you always been that way? I think I have. I think I've always been curious. I was brought up with the notion that um, education was very important. Knowing things was very important. My father and I would have what we came to call Talmudic discussions. You know, we could get into the nitty gritty and the encyclopedia would come out and the dictionary would come out. And it was very important to be able to state one's case and really dig into the background and try to prove your your point of view was accurate. Around what age were you when you were having these discussions? Oh my, eight, nine, ten. Wow. Young, mm -hmm. young. So my father was a very bright man. Um, he spoke 11 languages, of which he could read and write eight. Mm. And you speak also. You're quite the polyglot. I do speak a number of languages. I grew up with five or six languages being spoken at home. So I got a lot of that by osmosis. And I'm very grateful for having grown up in that kind of environment. It served me very well when I've had to learn other languages. You had a great story for my boys when we went to Mexico and they had to learn Spanish. And you described yourself as a, how old were you when you moved to New York? Eight? You were eight years old and you came to this school in New York and you couldn't speak, you couldn't write English very well. So what is that story? Can you share that now? Sure. I was extremely lucky to have a very wonderful teacher. I entered fourth grade when, when we moved to the U.S., I had completed third grade in Israel and we moved at the beginning of the summer. So I had sort of the summer before I started fourth grade. And I was extremely lucky to have a wonderful teacher by the name of Mrs. Strauss. I will never forget Mrs. Strauss, who had just a wonderful um, attitude and approach. She chose to focus on the things I knew rather than things I didn't know. So for example, once a week on Fridays, uh, the class would have a spelling test. And we, so the first spelling test uh, after I entered this classroom, she said to me, and Odella, you just write down 
the first letter of each word that you hear. So I took my paper and I, of course, being the overachiever, wrote down what I thought the word was spelled like, mm. um, which is, it was very tactical on her part. You know, she knew that if she didn't set the ribbon too high, I would Jump feel comfortable. Her. Exactly. So, so I did that. And then um, she would correct the papers over the weekend. And on Monday, she'd give them all back to the class. And that Monday, she distributed the papers and she said, I've hung on to one paper and that turned out to be mine. Because I think this is so interesting about our English language, what it sounds like to someone who wasn't born here and hasn't learned it yet. So she took up as an example, I, I don't remember the exact word, but let's say one of the words was light. Mm -hmm. um, and I would probably have written L-I-T because that's what it would sound like to me. And um, she used that as an example in front of the class, you know, so again, focusing on the, not making me feel stupid, right? On the contrary, I had contributed something to their learning process. Mm. She was just amazing. Mm. Um, she made a deal with me that she said, you know, my grandmother um, speaks Yiddish, so... I'll stay after school and help you with your English if you'll help me learn some Yiddish so I can talk to my grandmother in Yiddish. Wow. An amazing, amazing, amazing individual. Did you keep in touch with her as you got older? I did keep in touch with her for... But what, so then I finished fourth grade and then went into fifth grade and sometime there at the beginning of fifth grade she left the school mm -hmm. to have a baby mm -hmm. and then I transferred to another school because we moved but also in the same neighborhood different school um, I kept running into her at odd intervals in life so first I found out where she lived and went and rang her doorbell and she was delighted you know got to play with her baby and it was great and then a few years went by and I entered high school and it turned out made, made a very good friend who I still have to this day and somehow in some conversation it turned out that this new friend of mine babysat mm. for Mrs. Strauss who lived in my friend's building <laughs> so we went upstairs one day and rang the bell so it was things like that and then many years later I was an adult uh, I was going to a reading at the 92nd Street Y in New York. Doris Lessing was reading from one of her novels. Mm -hmm. And I was there with this friend, in fact, and another friend of ours. And we found seats. It was very crowded. It was packed. The place was packed. And my friend is, says hello to someone in the row in front of us. And I look and I realize this is Mrs. Strauss. <laughs> So now we hadn't seen each other in 20 years, oh, a long time, goodness. yes. Wow. And uh, so we chatted for a bit and then Doris Lessing started. And then an hour and a half later, it was over. And so we get up to, to leave and I say to Mrs. Strauss, wasn't she just wonderful? And Mrs. Strauss says... I guess she was, but most of the time I was thinking about a sweet little girl 
that came into my class so many years ago. It was so touching. Mm. It was just, this is what she was sitting and thinking about. Oh, my goodness. Very special person. Clearly. And now, years later, you finished your IT career. You were fun employed for a while. Now you devote a lot of your daytime hours going to a math centrum and coaching students. Is that right? I've been a volunteer at Mata Centrum for about six years now, uh, helping students with math. And this year I started uh, working there as coordinator for our math labs in the city of Stockholm. There's a, a bit of a parallel, I think. Here you have an opportunity to be in a classroom and be that influence on young people. Is she with you as you are at Math Centrum? I think that she's been with me for a long time, even before Mata Centrum. I have done a fair share of teaching or training over the course of my work life. And her attitude of always trying to find um, the positive in a situation and, and seeing the students who are in front of you um, has always lived on in me, I think. Um, even at Mata Centrum now, as of when I was there volunteering and, and really working directly with students, I find that it's just, I mean, of course, they've got questions about math, but with per some students, um, it's more a question of a lack of confidence. You know? So you're there taking the fear out again. Yes. Hmm. There we have a common theme. Yes, we do. <laughs> Just to touch back on, I mentioned the word fun employed, and this was the way you referred to it when you, you finished a formal career, I guess. Should we put it that way? Yes, I decided to leave the business world. Mm. Uh, I had been employed and quite happily employed, liked my job, um, but decided that, you know, enough. I've been there. I've done that. I no longer wanted to be in the corporate environment, and so I left. And since then, and this was four years ago now, I guess, um, I've taken on projects that interest me. Right. And also traveled so much. You traveled, what I want to get to is last year you went to a really unusual place on the planet. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I uh, last year, I went to Antarctica, which has been a dream of mine for many, many years. Why? Why? It... Really good question. No idea. Why did I move to Sweden? I don't know. You know, most people, when they think about dream vacation spots, it's Tahiti or Hawaii right. or, or... Sun, beach. Exactly. My whole life, my dream spots have always been Alaska was one, was a big one. Um, Antarctica was another one. I wind up moving to Sweden. Um, in fact, the year before I moved to Sweden, or maybe on one of the last visits to Sweden before I actually moved, uh, I remember it being marked by these very intense dreams I had that were this felt ancient, very ancient, coming from someplace very, very like prehistoric um, and a lot of glaciers and snow. And so I've always had this pull to, to snow and ice and have always preferred cold weather to hot weather. 
So Antarctica, because it's there, because it's a place on the planet very few people get to. Um, and did it live up to your dream? Totally. I'm, I'm, I long to go back. Wow. It was, it is so majestic and so pristine and so incredibly beautiful. And then there are the penguins. You know, the cuteness factor is just off just the charts. Off the charts. <laughs> totally. And and they're completely unafraid because of course we as people have managed to have one place on the planet that we haven't totally spoiled. So if you sit yourself down on a rock, they'll come waddling by you. I mean, they're not curious in the sense that they don't come up to you and sniff or want to say hello, and you're absolutely not allowed to touch them. Right. But but they'll come waddling within two, three inches of where you're sitting. Wow. Um, Just to coexist there. Yep. What would be the best case scenario for you in the near future? The best case scenario, if anything were possible then um, I would be working in the theater and find projects to do both here and in the United States and in Israel and split my time between these three places where I have people who I love. I think that sounds like a nice tripod. You know, on three legs, things are stable. I think so too. Well, thank you. I know we could have talked about so many other topics. So perhaps part another time. Yeah, that'll be a part two, perhaps. But thank you for, for covering just your passion for arts and learning and living. Thanks for having me as a guest. It was fun. Next time on Get to Know an Average Joe, you'll meet Allison Steele. She started out as a shy little girl in a small town in Louisiana, but learned to express herself in words and visuals. I have an entire costume closet. Wow. Yes, you have to have a lot of costumes when you live in New Orleans. That's not all. We talk recovery from Hurricane Katrina, social media, and millennials, all on the next episode. I'm Dodie Axe. Thanks for listening. And now, if you'll excuse me, 